Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Hey, everybody. Always a joy to uh, be able to expose God's Word here at Southeastern Chapel. And I'm just going to continue on with the theme today about discipleship and fulfilling our ministry. Second Timothy chapter 4, that's what I want to talk about, what it means to have a fulfilled ministry. So I grew up in a small factory town in Michigan, and most of my friend's parents worked on the assembly lines, which typically would be making a part for a car for the Detroit auto industry. And every day they would come in and the factory would do the same thing. Someone would take a, a slab of steel and melt it down, pass it on to the next person, and they'd pour that molten steel into some sort of mold, and then it would sit there until it cooled, hand it off to the next person, and then this person would take a hammer and beat it around a few times and sort of get it prepared for the grinding and then they would attach whatever needed to be attached and then they would sandblast it and then they would put a top coat on and ship it off to Detroit to put in a car. Hopefully they've created some useful tool. And what I have found is that being a seminary professor is very much like that. Every semester we receive new students, raw material, and some professor will take them and melt them down, try to rid the impurities and then hand them off to another professor who will try to pour them into a mold useful for ministry. And we'll hand them off to another professor who will begin to hammer biblical truth into them, hand them off to another professor that will begin to attach all of the important accessories and then finally hand them off again for someone to sandblast and put a top coat on to the point where we hope that they will be sent out useful for the ministry. And we all put on our funny robes and we sit here and we watch these graduates walk across the stage and we wonder has this been worth it has it been worth it will they remember what we taught them will they be able to utilize what we have put into them and, and to be honest growing up you know my my friends parents they would not say that their jobs on the assembly lines were very fulfilling. And to be honest, I know as a professor, sometimes my job doesn't feel very fulfilling. As a colleague of yours, professors, how fulfilled are you in your ministry to these students? And students, let me ask you a question. Do you even know what it means to have a fulfilled ministry? 
Do you know what that is? Because if you don't know what a fulfilled ministry looks like, then the potential is that you would chart a course for your future that at some point will end up in a complete crisis of your calling. So what I want to do today is I want us to go to the very last words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And as an encouragement to my colleagues and the administration who runs this wonderful school and as instruction to our students, I want to talk about what a fulfilled ministry looks like. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, this is what Paul would tell us. That we fulfill our ministry when we faithfully communicate God's word to the glory of Christ and to the advance of his church. Let me say that again. We fulfill our ministry when we faithfully communicate God's word to the glory of Christ into the advance of his church. This is how Paul says it. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit, you gave us these words so that not only would we hear Paul's last statements to Timothy, but we would hear afresh these words for our lives and our ministries. And if you would, in these few moments, help us to know what it means to have a fulfilled ministry now and in the years to come so that we might communicate your word in such a way that we bring glory to your Son, our Savior, our King, and help to advance his kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 4, these five verses have a very simple structure. The key to this passage is the command, preach the word. The way that it is structured simply is there are two indicatives followed by two lists of imperatives. There's a positive truth followed by four commands of application. Then there's a negative truth followed by four other commands of application. The positive truth is this, that whenever we minister the word of God, we do so in the presence of Christ, our King. Now, because of that, the four commands of application are we have to be ready to do it. And we have to do it with correction and conviction and with compassion. The negative command is that even though we are to proclaim God's word, many will remain deafened by their selfish desires. 
the four commands then follow, so then be clear-headed. Be ready to endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Let me walk you through these now. Verse 1. Our proclamation of God's word occurs in the presence of Christ, our soon coming King. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Now again, this is the last word that Paul gives to Timothy. This is it. Of all his letters, all his sermons, all his instruction. This is the final word, and this is the lasting word for us. There's a difference, you see, between the way Paul writes his first letter to Timothy and his second letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy, Paul apparently has been released from house arrest in Rome, and now he is again traveling about, encouraging churches. In 2 Timothy, Paul has been arrested again, and he finds himself in a dungeon hole awaiting execution. In 1 Timothy... Paul is able to still fellowship with, with friends while in 2 Timothy he is alone. And he is just there waiting for his impending death. And that's why as, as he gives these last words to Timothy, they, they, they need to be important to us because Paul is pleading for Timothy to remain faithful to his calling and then when he concludes, he just simply says to Timothy, now if you have time, please come to Rome and meet me. And by the way, I left my coat in Troas with a friend, if you don't mind grabbing it, because I'm awful cold here, and I'm not sure I'll survive the winter. And Timothy, if possible, when you come visit me, bring my Bible and bring my notebooks so that I might refresh my soul as I await my execution. And so in this, this final appear, uh, appeal, Paul says to Timothy, remember this, Timothy, this one thing, preach the word, and when you do it, remember that you always do it in the presence of God and of Christ, our King. That's who we are. We are simply heralds of Christ, our King, immortal, eternal, our only wise God. And every time we, we minister the word of God, we, we do it in a way to acknowledge God's presence. And I think that truth, right, that's the positive truth. We are to be ministers of God's word and every time we minister the word of God, whether it be a Sunday morning sermon or a Bible lesson or we're doing biblical counseling with a friend, every time we minister the word of God, we have to do it as if Jesus were there in our midst. And I just wonder if the way we counsel and teach and preach would change if we really believe that. Here's a for instance. So let me tickle your ears a little bit because Dr. Aiken's not here. He's away doing ministry. And so let me imagine something for your students. That, that Dr. Aiken told me to tell you that whoever came to chapel this Tuesday morning 
would receive a 50% discount on their tuition this semester. And can I get an amen? All right. All right, so, yeah, he said that. And, and, and as soon as you've seen Dr. Aiken on campus, I want you to rush up to him and give him a big hug and say, oh, Dr. Aiken, thank you. That was huge. What a blessing. To which Dr. Aiken will say, I didn't say that. Who said I said that? He'll say it in kind of that voice, like, who said I said that? And then the one who judges the living and the dead on this campus will find me, and then I'll be dead. <clears throat> now, if he were present, I wouldn't have given that illustration. <clears throat> if you're going to minister this authoritative eternal truth, you have to do it in such a way as if our king were there in the audience listening, if he were there in the room listening, if he were there in the counseling office observing. And, and what we have to do is we have to learn how to communicate this word so effectively so that one day the one who will come and judge us the one who will judge the living and the dead, that he might look to us and say, hey, well done. The way you ministered my word in your ministry, that was well done. And professors, that's, that's why we do what we do. One day we might hear that from Jesus. And students, that's why we need for you to be receptive to learn how to do this. The positive truth is when we proclaim God's word, we do so in his presence. Now by application, our proclamation of God's word must be done with readiness, with correction, with conviction, and with compassion. Paul says it this way, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And now I want to make sure you get this very clearly. Every word is important. Even these little definite articles are important. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word word. He didn't say preach about the word. He didn't say preach in reference to the word. He didn't say preach bits and pieces of the word. He said preach the word. You may have to chew on this for a few minutes or a few days. But there's actually quite a difference between preaching the word and preaching about it. There's a difference between preaching in the word and preaching in reference to it. As a matter of fact, there's a sizable difference in expository preaching and teaching and most topical approaches to teaching and preaching. And our command is to preach the word the way it was given to us and all of it, every word of it. And we don't have to be cute or relevant. 
creative or eloquent in order to accomplish it. We just need to proclaim it. My wife was reading to me this morning. Got an amazing wife. She was reading to me the, um, from the autobiography of George Mueller. She said, hey, you need to use this in your sermon today, which at that point in time, that's, I have to do that. And she's here. And so in his autobiography, Bueller is just talking about expositional preaching. And he makes a statement, you know, when you expound large portions of God's word, you create within your congregation, first of all, a desire for them to bring their Bibles to church. And you also create within them a desire to meditate more on what they're hearing. But if you dissect the word and you just merely take a sentence or a part of a verse, you merely provide a motto for whatever you want to say. And to fulfill your ministry, you have to preach the word. For us professors, we have to teach our students how to do this. And, and so Paul, he says, this is how. How do we proclaim this word? Well, first of all, we, we have to be prepared. Be ready in season and out of season. We have to be ready for this, regardless of current cultural sensitivities. We, we must be ready, and then we must be able to do these things, reprove and rebuke and exhort. That means we have to be able to correct error and do it with strong conviction. We we, we have to be able to warn with urgency and with authority. And then we have to be able to come alongside those that we are ministering the word of God to. To exhort them. That, that word that I so love, parakaleo, that, that word that means just come alongside. Let me preach at you. Let me preach to you. Let me convict you. Let me correct you. But then let me come alongside you and walk with you, disciple you, that I might minister this, this word of God to you. Oh, Jesus did this perfectly. I mean, Jesus always did this perfectly. He, he could always size up his crowd perfectly. He knew who to rebuke and who to reprove, and he knew who to come alongside and exhort. And he fulfilled his ministry. Because he preached the word. And Jesus did it in season and Jesus did it out of season and it was mostly out of season if you read the Gospels. And Jesus understood that as a minister of God's word, he performed the function of a, a skilled physician. Think about this. Dr. Shaddix is, is having some outpatient surgery today. I don't know if you knew that. And I offered to do it myself so he could be here, you know, in chapel. And I had a discount, by the way. He's like, no thanks, you handle this, and I'll get someone skilled to handle, you know. That. But think about it. So a skilled surgeon, first of all, they need credentials, right? Hopefully, if you're going to go to a surgeon, you'll say, so you do you know what you're doing? And have other people, you know, declare that you know what you're doing. They've got to have the right credentials and they have to be approved. And then if you, 
if you choose to use them, you grant them authority to do surgery on you, right? And then what they're going to do is hopefully they'll take an x-ray and then they'll examine you and they'll figure out where the corruption or the damage is and then you'll go into surgery and they'll take a surgical instrument and they will cut away the corruption. They'll, they'll cut away the damage. But then they don't just leave you there. They suture you up and they, they mend you. And then a good surgeon will even make sure that, that you're healing well. And this is very similar to what you're supposed to do as a minister of God's word. It was Spurgeon who, in referring to Christ as our great physician, Spurgeon said, when a, a physician presents himself, one question the patient should ask is, are you a regular practitioner? Do you have the right to practice? Do you have a diploma? Very properly, the law requires that a man should not be allowed to hack our bodies and poison us with drugs at his own pleasure without having at least a show of knowing what he's doing. And yet we so often will allow preachers to hack away at the word of God and poison minds and hearts with an inaccurate profession and teaching and instruction of what this word says. And it happens all the time. And, and we just don't want you to be one of those unskilled physicians. And so again, to my colleagues, we, we have to equip our students. This is how we fulfill our ministry here. We have to equip our students to be tactical surgeons of God's word. We, we know, right, the word of God. It's, it's like a, a, a two-edged sword. It's, it's sharp enough to pierce down to the very heart, the, uh, you know, the, the very marrow of, 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 of where the sinful corruption is. The word of God has that ability to pierce, to wound, and to heal. And we have to teach them how to do that. And yet, what we know this. Uh, students... Uh, Basically, you come here not with the ability to take the word of God like a sharp two-edged sword, but you either come here and you use the word of God like a dull butter knife or you use the word of God like a chainsaw. That's basically what we get. And some of you, you, you just, you're not effective enough in God's word and for you, you, you try to minister it, but it's like a dull butter knife. I mean, you're just like, come on, it's, it's nothing's cutting it. Let me just slather some butter over that. You feel better? Here, let me just put some jelly on you. Okay, you good? I feel like I've ministered to you. And then some of you students, man, it's time for you to teach or preach, and you're just like, Rawr, and you're just hacking away, you know, blood and guts flying everywhere, and we're just like, stop it, just... It's, it's, just, a, it's just a wonderful, beautiful, very precise surgical instrument. Just make the cut... Expose the wound, remove the corruption, suture, apply the balm, and remain there until they're healed. That's what we do. It takes training, it takes practice, it takes instruction. And then part of, part of your ministry students is to learn how to be such a physician. We just, we really are here for you to learn what it means to fulfill your ministry. 
That's why we exist in your lives. Okay, so positive truth. Whenever we minister the word of God, we do it in the very presence of Christ our King. By application, you've got to be prepared for this. You have to be able to convict, correct, and be compassionate with God's word. Now, negative truth. As you proclaim God's word, just know that many remain deafened by their own selfish desires. They don't want to hear you. So by application, what do we do? You have to be clear-headed. You have to be willing to endure hardship. You have to be able to do the work of an evangelist. And then you will fulfill your ministry. That's what he says. Verse 3, our proclamation of God's word will not be received by those who remain deafened by their own selfish motives. Uh, Paul says, for, for the time will come, and it, it has come, it's here, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. It has just been the case, it's, it's really not new, it's just been the case since Paul wrote this, that the majority do not want to hear the truth of God's word. They, they don't want to have someone perform heart surgery on them. Instead, they, they just want a placebo. I don't want you to identify my serious heart condition. How about this? Give me a few candy-coated baby aspirin and I'll be better. And that's what many, often most, simply desire. And as, as Paul is saying this, he is speaking prophetically. I'm right. I mean, if you look at the, the history of the Old Testament, all of the prophets dealt with the same things. Moses through Isaiah, these people don't want to listen. They don't want to listen. I mean, Isaiah got a vision of the holiness of God, and God said, I, I need a preacher. Isaiah said, send me, give me your word, what's my sermon? Here's the sermon. Y'all ain't gonna listen to me, no matter what I say, you ain't gonna listen. You're deaf, you're blind, and I'm gonna destroy you. And Isaiah's like, so that's it? That's my sermon? Yep, that's your sermon. How long do I do it until I completely destroy Judah? Great. Good message. And then Jesus, he took that from Isaiah and he said, this is why I'm going to teach in parables. Because in hearing, they don't want to hear. And in seeing, they don't want to see. They want their ears tickled. So what do I do? Well, I, I still proclaim the word. But listen, I have, I've got to do it in a way where I am clear-headed and willing to endure and fulfill my ministry. Calvin, in commenting on this very passage, Calvin says, the more extraordinary wicked men attempt to despise true doctrine 
the more zealous godly ministers must be to defend it, and all the more strenuous should be our efforts to preserve it so that we can ward off Satan's attacks against the church. And professors, we, that's what we've got to do. To fulfill our ministry, we have to help our students to recognize what they're going to face when we send them away from this place. That the, the truth is, because of our fallen condition, most people simply do not want to hear what God has to say. And so they, they just simply pile up voices all around them to hear what their selfish hearts want to hear. And it has to be loud enough to deafen out the, the voice of God through his word. And, and yet they'll, they'll try to guise that, right? In saying that, oh yeah, I'm getting a more enlightened message. I'm, I'm getting a more lighthearted message. I'm getting a more culturally appropriate message. Even though the negative truth is that many will remain deafened to the proclamation of God's word by their own selfish desires, by application, Paul says, you don't give up. No, simply be sober about that. Have a sound mind, have a, have a clear head. Paul is telling Timothy that in ministry, you've got to keep your head screwed on correctly. And, and part of our role as your professors is to make sure that it is screwed on right. We, right? We, we have to help you to become clear and critical thinkers. Because muddied minds equate to dull doctrinal thinking, and now you're in trouble. So be sober. And then endure hardship. I mean, this probably is what Timothy feared the most, to be honest. He, he didn't want to suffer like he saw Paul suffer. And so not just here, back in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says to Timothy, now endure hardship with me. Like I've endured it, you endured it. Here again, his last words, endure hardship. Be willing to suffer affliction. And back in chapter 2, Paul, Paul said to Timothy, you, you've got to do it like a good soldier. Be willing to endure hardship. He also said, you have to learn the value of hard work, like a hardworking farmer. So that in enduring in ministry, you will eventually be able to enjoy the fruit of your labors, like a farmer who, who labors hard. I mean, look at this. There's absolutely nothing glamorous about being a good soldier or a hardworking farmer. And, and you've got to remove this sense of ministry being glamorous. Just, just, just stop it with all of this. It's not glamorous. It's wonderful. It's a fantastic opportunity. It's just, it's, it's just endurance to be faithful day in and day out. I mean, the grace of God's perseverance is one of the most precious gifts that we get. We, we don't think about that enough. 
And God gives us, by his grace, perseverance to endure hardship. And, and one of the greatest benefits, as students, that you have right now in college or in seminary, one of the greatest benefits that you will get through this experience is to learn hard work and how to endure. So look, if you're complaining about how hard it is and you got to work and make money and support your family and do all your studies, I'm telling you, man, I'm not in that space to care. I don't have compassion because been there, done that, and I'm still doing it. Rather, what I want you to know is, man, thank you for the opportunity for me to learn what it means to endure. Thank you for the opportunity to work hard in your classroom. And yet, if you want to find who's the easiest class and the easiest A, you are in the wrong place. Because honestly, professors, we don't care about that. We are here to equip you to fulfill our ministry, which is you. Now, this is how it works. You, to fulfill your ministry, you endure your studies. And for us to fulfill our, our ministry, we endure you. I'm not being facetious here because you are our ministry. You have to endure this program. We have to endure you. Yeah, sometimes I'm, it's like I'm walking to class and I can imagine if someone from the communications office gives me that big, cool, Sebits, I'm going thing, you know, that sign. Dr. Milley, where are you going, you know? And, and what would be glamorous would be for me to say, yeah, I'm going to Japan 2020. I'm, 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 I'm going to the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to go be a missionary in Wakanda. It's not a real place. That's just a shout out to the Black Panther movie because I'm taking, I'm going to try to score a date with my wife tonight and take her to that movie. No, no. Here's what I have to fill out. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going to smelly Adams Hall to endure another three hours of student preaching <laughs> to the glory of Christ in the advance of his kingdom. That's... that's and that's what I want to write on the sign. But they, you know, that's not going to make it into the you know, magazine. It's... Now, personally, I do think this is a type of martyrdom, personally speaking. <laughs> it's just I'll never be on the cover of the Voice of the Martyrs. And I, as far as I know, there's not a crown of righteousness that awaits me for this. But I, I do it because you're my ministry. And, and look, sometimes I'm coming away from class and I'm thinking, Lord, okay, feeling confident about the kingdom. And there's other days I'm driving home and I'm just talking to the Lord. I'm saying, now look, Jesus, if the advance of your kingdom is based on what I heard today in class, we in trouble. <laughs> but then I remember I was the same. And I still have a long way to go. And so finally, we, we do the work of an evangelist. I wish I had time to really, you know, sort of exegete this. I mean, just to summarize, it's, it, there is a bit of an interpretive guess here. I think the evangelist, he doesn't say do the work of evangelism. He says do the work of an evangelist. The, the, the imperative is do the work. The, the, 
The noun is evangelist. It's only found three times in Paul's writings. Again, interestingly enough, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, as he's talking about how the church was built up, where the, the foundational layer of the church was for the apostles and the prophets laying the foundational layers. And so God gives gifts of men, apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors, teach, pastor teachers. And so these four sort of gifts to the church, there's a role here, a function of the evangelist. To the best that I understand this, the evangelist would be that person who ministers the word of God and proclaims the gospel to people who haven't heard it or where there are not churches that exist. And once those churches then exist, they then establish pastor teachers to help them, to equip them to do the work of the ministry, to, to build up the body of Christ, to become a mature man. And then the evangelist can then assist that in strengthening the church. Because to be honest, church planting and church revitalization was the Apostle Paul's ministry. That was his ministry. He planted churches and he strengthened churches. And now he's handing that off to Timothy and he just says, do this, do it. This is fulfilling the Great Commission. Do this and then fulfill your ministry. We proclaim the Word of God always as if Christ were present. Always ready with conviction, correction, and compassion. Now, not, not everybody cares to hear. That's okay. Just be sober-minded about that. Be willing to endure do the work that fulfills the Great Commission and you will fulfill your ministry. And it's not glamorous. Professors, it's, I mean, it's kind of like an assembly line, right? But we still do it to fulfill our ministry. Students, accomplish this so that you will know how to fulfill your ministry. And if, if you will understand, right? Look, I want you to go to class today. I want you to go to class this week and say to yourself, parsing verbs is my ministry. I'm serious about that. Parsing verbs is my ministry. Learning essential, important historical events is my ministry. Being able to discern and define sound doctrine is my ministry. Being able to minister the word of God effectively and eloquently, that is my ministry. And if you will learn that today, maybe God will give you an opportunity tomorrow for even more ministry. And if you will do this faithfully today and tomorrow and then the next year and the next year, Maybe you and we as your professors, if we remain faithful, will just be able, in the end, when we have fulfilled our ministry and our days are done, to confess like Paul that I fought the good fight and I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. And now there is laid up for me this crown of righteousness to which I will be given when my Savior returns. But, but not just to me, but to all of us who will love his appearing. Father, by your Spirit, help us to fulfill our ministry. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. 
If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.